On today's podcast, we have Dr. Noel George. A lot of people will recognize Noel as being principally the, the guy you see in first year teaching you chemistry. But what they don't know is that Noel embodies service. He's always engaged and he's always excited about learning and he tries to instill that same joy in others. He's also very empathetic and very aware of what the challenges are in first year populations. So please lean in and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Noel George. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today I have a, another favorite in our repertoire of, of faculty members in the department, and that's Dr. Noel George is joining us today. Noel, welcome to the pod. Uh, thanks very much, Brian. Glad to be here. And we are glad that you are here joining us today. Noel, tell us a little bit about your role at Ryerson. So I was started at Ryerson in 1998, and I was hired as uh, what was then called a teaching emphasis faculty member. So my, my primary role was to teach and do service activities, whereas you know I, I had less responsibility with regards to research activities. So since then, I have been primarily an instructor, teaching mostly the introductory level general chemistry courses. But over the past couple of decades, I've had a lot of uh, also administrative appointments. I've been involved in the first year science office for about seven and a half years. And I try and do for a bit of service activity as well. Been, I'm a member of Senate. I've been on other committees such as academic standards for a number of years as well. So I try and contribute to the governance of the university as much as I can as well. Sorry, Nolan, for our listeners, that's a really good cause because a lot of us who don't want to do those jobs require heroes to take them on. And it's a, it is a lot of bureaucracy and, and you, you tackle that bureaucracy with a great sword and shield that protects all of us. <laughs> you're, like well, a, you're like a knight in shining armor. Well, you know, I, yes, I feel like that, that's the role sometimes. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I'm trying to rain on people's parade by saying, oh, you can't do that. Or, or citing rules and policies at them, but uh, it is a it is important that certain things be observed, and so uh, I'm happy to do that. I feel it's a it's a nice way to contribute to the community. Also, act as a, a source of information for uh, my colleagues as well when they're facing problems. Done that. Uh, I have some experience with a wide variety of different aspects of the university. Yes, you do. And you've done that very well. In fact, for the pod, there's only been two people, both who we've now interviewed on the pod, who have scolded me. And Noel was one of them, but I was at a blind. So I deserved it. <laughs> Noel, Noel let's, let's, let's talk about your journey to Ryerson before Ryerson. Where, where's hometown from? So I'm, a, I'm an army brat. For much of my life, I moved around about every four years or so because my dad was in the military. What, what military, what role did your dad play? He was in the army and he was in, uh, he was a communications specialist. So for example, we lived in uh, Lahr, Germany for a period of four years and he was responsible for setting up the first Canadian television station in Germany. And cool. he, and he interacted a fair bit with the, uh, the local telecommunications authorities and things like that as a liaison between the army and the, and the, and the town. Very cool. So where did you, okay. So if you had to choose what is your hometown, which doesn't sound like you have yeah. one, what, what, what would you, where would you put your, no, your... no, they, I'd have to say Kingston because I did, my dad was stationed there. So I spent grades about grade seven to 11 in Kingston. And then I returned there for my undergrad at Queens. And now my parents are retired in Kingston. So I, if, if I had to call anything a hometown, it would, it would be that. Okay. So did you know what you wanted to be when you were a kid? <laughs> like I, I would have maybe more, more, more stationary and planted, but, but other than that, like, did you, did you know what uh, you wanted to be here? No, no. I mean, I think, you know, I think I was like many kids, you know, it changed from time to time, but when it actually, uh, you know, kind of came to high school times and I was thinking about what I should do with my life, being a, an RCMP officer was, was a, a dream of mine for a while, but then 
that and, and forensic stuff. You know, I was very into science, so I was actually thought about blending, um, you know, police work and forensics and or like a forensic technician or something like that. Of course, this was well before the days of CSI, so I, I was ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, and so... When you when you when you were thinking about that, so RCMP, you, you have to move around when you're in the RCMP too. So how like what is that like moving around all the time in terms of your personal development? I mean, I guess you wouldn't collect a lot of things. <laughs> like no. you wouldn't be very sentimental. But, no, um, you're you're right. Actually, that is an aspect I would say of of my personality, which is unlike my wife, who lived in one place pretty much all her her life, is that I'm very good at moving. And very good at packing and yeah not a believer in in keeping stuff i don't need really so yeah i wouldn't say i'm, I'm very sentimental about a lot of things but also i think yeah it, it impacts development in other ways i mean i i'm i'm unfamiliar with the idea of having uh, you know a friend that i've known since kindergarten or something like that because you're kind of making new sets of friends every number of years and i think there's positive and negatives to that in some ways but I think part of it was, you know, I, it instilled a sense of, or curiosity, especially about traveling. I really enjoyed traveling and uh, like going new places. And I think that might be part of it. It was that we we're moving around a fair bit. So quite a, quite a sense of, of adventure, I guess, in that regard. Let's, let's talk about your undergrad. So you said you went to Queens. Under, what program did you go into when you started? Uh, I was in chemistry when I started that. That was because of the forensics aspect? Partly, but I actually enjoyed, you know, I'm a, I'm a big science person or a science geek in some ways, but no, I love math and physics and chemistry. And, and actually, you know, when I was in, near the end of high school, that's when kind of computers and personal computers start, first started coming out. So I took computer science in high school. We had, we had these old computers. So I liked all the sciences and, and ultimately I'm not... You know, I, I wish I could go back and quiz myself as to why I picked chemistry. It wasn't my best subject out of the sciences, but I, I guess I liked the uh, the idea of it and I liked the challenge of it. During your undergrad, were you a, a good student? Yeah, I would say I was a good student, or I thought I was a good student anyway, in, in at least in comparison to others. I, you know, I was I studied a lot. I did I did well in in high school, but I was a very I'm a you know. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to find the right phrase. I guess, you know, I'm a, I'm a warrior. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I wouldn't say the the desire to proceed, succeed was, you know, pressure from my parents or anything. I put a lot of pressure on myself and because and I wanted to, to do well. And Why did you uh, want to do well? What was it? <laughs> I think it was satisfying, I guess. I don't know, personal personal goals. I liked, I liked succeeding, I guess. I, you know, there's something about it that I enjoyed. Yeah, I, I studied studied it quite a bit, and I think I, you know, what I thought I, I I thought I had pretty good study habits. My mind changed once I got to university, but I think in high school I, I was pretty good. So let's talk about university then. So what changed? What were the big changes? I mean, I, I was expecting you to say that you would be very regimented, like you were like, <laughs> but but you weren't regimented by your parents. You were self. Uh, Self-regimented, yeah. yeah, yeah. I caused myself a lot of anxiety and, and worry, all all yeah. on myself, all on my own fault. I was a bit of a wreck at times, especially during exam periods and things like that. No, I think I think what you know, first year university was a was a big transition as it is for a lot of people, and I think part of it was a you know yes I was used to succeeding and and you know being among the the top in my class in high school. And first year, you know, I was, wasn't getting the grades I was used to. And that was very disappointing and, and frustrating. And, you know, it was hard to figure out, like, what was I doing wrong? So, you know, even though I thought I had good study habits and I tried to apply that kind of same stuff when I was in university, it didn't lead to the success that I certainly uh, desired. So, I mean, we know that you went on and, and to grad school and other things, but before we get there, what was the pivot? Like, how, when did you make that je ne sais quoi moment where you, you could identify what it took to at least be better, whatever your definition of better is? Maybe it wasn't grades. Maybe it was just you were getting it. What was it? Where, what, could, you, could you, do you remember that moment? Not, not specifically. I mean, I, you know, I talked to 
you know, I, I got okay grades. Obviously, I, I got to where I am, you know, I succeeded, but I, I don't think, you know, in some ways I, I barely made the lines, you know, like I met, I got the grades to get into grad school, but they weren't, you know, they, they made it past the minimums, but not, not by tons. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I, I don't think there was really a pivotal moment where all of a sudden I had, I had huge success. I, I always had to work very hard what I thought in comparison to other people who did better than me just to, you know, make it, make it through. And, you know, yes, I met success, but it, it wasn't without its challenges. So when did you make that transition to that you were going to go say, I'm going to do grad school. So what was it that sort of led you to that move then? Oh, well, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, coming down, coming into third, fourth year of, of my program, I, you know, you start thinking about well, what kind of jobs would I like to do, you know, as a career when I graduate. And I mean, at the time when I started, you know, seeing what was out there for people with, uh, say, a, a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry, you know, there are jobs out there for sure, but they weren't necessarily the kinds of jobs that I was looking for. I think, you know, part of, part of our, the career I was looking for was something that would always keep me engaged and always learning. And I, I couldn't really imagine kind of going in and doing the same exact thing day in and day out as kind of a, as a career. So lab technician jobs are, are, are awesome, but it wasn't something that I was really looking for. And I kind of wanted to be more involved in research or decision-making or, or have a bigger role. And I realized that having a master's as a, as a minimum was kind of, what I was going, going to need to get into those kinds of jobs. Okay, and so did you do a fourth year thesis project at Queen's? I did. It was in, it was, Jeez, uh, now the name's gonna escape me, but it was in the medicinal chemistry. <laughs> okay. Oh, so that, uh, was, that was a bit of a pivot for you because I know where you did your PhD, so that's not quite the same field at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, it is not that, you know, that's more medicinal chemistry in my, and my PhD was in inorganic uh, chemistry. So I did, yeah, even though I did that for my thesis, eventually when I was applying to graduate school, when they asked you to put your interest down, I, I liked inorganic more. I also was interested in polymer chemistry at the time too. And so we've had a, a number of fellow colleagues who graduated from Queens and then went elsewhere. So what made you go to Guelph? Because that's where you did your PhD. <laughs> Partly my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time. So I guess as a background, I, you know, I, I met my wife in high school. We're high school sweethearts. And we, we kind of followed each other around. She was an English major, English literature, and was very interested in a master's degree in English and the people that she was really interested in were was Guelph. Um, so when I was applying to graduate school, we, wa we wanted to preferably be in the same place or at least close to each other. So I applied to Guelph and, uh, and Guelph also has, they have a combined pr pr program with Waterloo. And so there's, in a way, when you go there, you can have access to both schools. So I thought they had a very good program that there is somebody either at Waterloo or Guelph that uh, I would be interested in working with. And so, so it ultimately it was uh, Richard Oakley at Guelph. Yeah. And it was a, it was a great decision. I, I just, I, I had a big smile when you said uh, high school at Seahawks because I wanted to go, ah, and, and, and then I didn't want to interrupt you. So I'll just do that. <laughs> do that's, it now. That's yeah. really sweet. Man. And that, that's really sweet because uh, that's, you know, to follow that and to stay together throughout, um, you know, a really big transition is not an easy thing to do. So good for you guys. And luckily, I had the fortune of, of being taught by Rich Oakley because he moved to Waterloo when I was still there as an undergrad. And yes, we're, we're related he, in a way. Yeah, we are. And he's a fantastic, he's a fantastic educator, uh, mentor. When did you decide that you wanted to be to go into academia? What was, when did that stage happen? <laughs> well, that's, that's a kind of a funny story in a way. Um, so I, I started off in a master's program with, uh, at Guelph with Rich Oakley. And 
you know, like I said, my goal was really just to kind of get a master's and then like move on and go and get a job and things like that. And um, one day I walked into Richard's office and it was, I can't remember what it was, but something, something minor just to ask him a question. And he said, oh, by the way, it's, it's time to put in your papers to transfer to your PhD program. And we hadn't even talked about that, you know, and I even hadn't even thought about that. And, uh, and I always was like, oh, uh, okay. So, because <laughs> I, I guess I thought, you know, I was enjoying graduate work, you know, my, you know, my research was going well and my courses were going well. And, and I, and I really just thought, well, you know, if he thinks I have the ability to do it, then uh, sure, why not? Let's go, let's go for it. <laughs> I, I think that's so funny. I could just see Rich doing that because he's so matter of fact about so, so many things like major life moment for you. And he's just, oh yeah, by the way, we've got to submit this form here. Sign yeah. this. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's great. It's not, and it's not trapping. He just knows that he, he doesn't want to blow things out of proportion and add any more stress to the, the situation. It's just an expectation, I guess, to be on his behalf. Huh, that's a really funny story. Yeah. So you, but when did you make that transition? So you were now in a PhD program. When did you know academia was the right path? I guess at some point, you know, near, near the end of my graduate work, you know, and you start thinking about, well, you know, am I going to go do a postdoc and am I going to, you know, what kind of research program, you know, would I like to run or what, what would I like to do? I think there was an important time in there where I realized that I, I really liked teaching more than the research in some ways. I mean, I loved being in the lab and doing, you know, doing experiments and, and doing all that kind of stuff. I really, I really enjoyed it. But I, I think I realized that, you know, conducting your own research program, you know, there are aspects that certainly maybe aren't enjoyable with regards to, you know, writing grants and getting grants and, and the pressure to publish and all this kind of stuff. But I think also there's there's a real talent that researchers have in, in, in that. And I don't think that was really my strength. And I didn't think I was really had the 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 chops, I guess, to to, to do it. But I really, really enjoyed teaching. You know, I, I've been uh, you know, a, a TA in labs for a number of years and I'd and I'd gotten really, really great feedback and you know, some some TA awards and stuff like that. And you know, I realized that was what I was enjoying the most. So I actually started looking for jobs teaching at the post-secondary level. So I was, I was really, what I was looking for uh, were yeah, teaching at college or university level. And so when you, was there a transition between Guelph and uh, Ryerson or did, did that just not, come straight up? Not much. I graduated in the, uh, at the end of a fall semester at Guelph. And I was applying to, to jobs, teaching jobs primarily, all over the place. Actually, at the time, I mean, I had, there was nothing in Canada. All the jobs I'd applied to were in the U.S. And some of them were like these colleges that were <laughs> you'd never heard of. Like, my wife I think was, I, applied to a, I applied to a few of those too. <laughs> yeah, but my wife was really, really worried that uh, we we're going to end up in some little tiny town in the hills of Pennsylvania or something like that. <laughs> no. uh, but I taught, I taught one semester at Guelph. I, I taught first year chemistry there. And while I was kind of applying for things and, uh, and I really, I went, I finished that and I went all the way, I was into the summer and uh, the Ryerson job came up. And I've actually really nearly didn't apply to Ryerson because at the time the, the ad was looking for an organic chemist and I'm not an, or, I wasn't an organic chemist, but I, I thought, well, I'll toss it in there anyway. And the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it was a really, really strange set of circumstances that, that led to that. And we're, we're, we're glad you are on this team and we're glad that worked out the way it did. What, what, uh, so we, let's talk about teaching because every once in a while when I have too many, too many drinks, I'll go and rate my professor and I'll, and I'll look at your rating <laughs> and I'll always see that you have a, a chili pepper and I don't. And, 
By the way, I, I just want everyone to know that we are not endorsing any software that judges teaching or students. <laughs> but, 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 but I do, uh, I have looked a few times. And so you are a very popular educator. And uh, what do you think it is that the student, that resonates with the students in that regard? Or what do you try to do that they might, that they might be connecting to? I think part of it is that, you know, yes, I'm teaching them first year chemistry, but I, you know, I think I, I bring a lot of my other, some of my other roles. For example, you know, I was in the first year, I was the coordinator of the first year science office um, for quite a number of years. And so not only am I teaching them their first year chemistry, but I, you know, I, I talk a lot a bit about the, the transition and first year university and you know how to how to cope and 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 other aspects i guess and so maybe i i try and connect with them more about just general you know i'm i'm here to teach you chemistry but i'm also here to help you try and survive this probably one of the most challenging years of your of your lives and i think i i try and relate to them saying that you know i struggled in first first year as well and and some of the other years as well i think i think a lot of students have this idea that all their professors are like geniuses or something like that and 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 put them up on a pedal store or something like that with regards to that and i try to remind them that we're human too and we're regular people not all of we, us are geniuses <laughs> if, if you have a, if you have a chance to listen to this podcast all of our listeners will know that we are seriously dispelling that myth that we were all geniuses in our undergrads <laughs> So there's hope, there's hope for everybody. And I think you, and the empathy that you show maybe is what, if I was to knock like nail on a single, single word, it's because you have, you had that experience. Like, you know, exactly what it's like to be them, not just because you did it and shared that moment of time, similar moment of time, but you actually had a, had a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. I think empathy, I try and, you know, I try and empathize with them. Because I still, you know, I'm not so old now that I, I don't remember what it was like and the struggles that I had. And yeah, I think they appreciate that. And I also, you know, take the approach that, you know, chemistry has not a great rep in, in terms of, of sciences. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's killer chem or, or you know, labeled something else or a bottleneck course. And, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a difficult subject because it has many different levels of when you think about terms of microscopic versus macroscopic and other things and and the use of symbols and you know equations and and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot going on and so i get that and i you know i try and my best to make it as you know present things in different ways and in different explanations and and that will somehow appeal to everybody but that yeah, you know, I'm not perfect and I will make mistakes and, and I'm, I'm upfront about that. So yes, I, I try and come off as a, as a human being to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think uh, you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, you know, and I, you know, I, and I try and, you know, they, you know, one of the things I love about teaching first year because, you know, I've taught it for 20 years and a lot of people ask, like, don't you get bored of it? And I was like, no, I don't get bored of it because it's a different group of students every year. And, you know, and yes, stuff does change. You know, we teach things in different ways now and I try and keep up with that. But, you know, they keep me young and I try and keep up with, you know, with their, you know, in some ways, their culture and try and make references that they'll, they'll get. You know, a lot of my jokes are, you know, uh, especially movie references from the 80s that don't go so well. Uh, <laughs> Top, Top Gun's making a reboot. So you're going to be That's fine. right. No, yeah, so, come back. <laughs> so um, you know, uh, what we need a reboot of uh, Ferris Bueller because some, a lot of them haven't seen that one. So whenever I, I say Bueller, yeah. Bueller, <laughs> Uh, they don't get it. Yeah. Not all yeah. of them. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. We'll always, we, we can at least laugh at our own jokes because yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you, what do you like best about your job? Um, I, I think I, you know, I think it's the people and, you know, not only my colleagues, but the students in particular, you know, we have a lot, a lot of great students with, with a lot of interesting stories and I love, I love connecting with them. Um, but 
but also as I, I kind of referenced earlier is that I'm always learning, you know, there's every day, you know, there's, there's something new or there's, or at least there's the, the opportunity to learn at all times. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's a dynamic thing and it's, it's never, never the same year after year. So 20 years have gone by for me over 20 years at Ryerson and it's, and they've gone by like, I can't, it's like a flash. I can't believe it's been that long already. Yeah, it, it, it's, I love, I love going into work. And, and I think that's a really, you know, if you can have a career, whatever it is, where you, you just love getting up and going to work, uh, then you, you have success. <laughs> I agree completely. And what do you like least about your job? That's a, that's a tough one, I guess. I mean, I said sometimes don't, like, don't don't throw anyone under the bus here. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I guess basically no I said no so, sometimes you know my answer for what I like best was the people, and sometimes it's what what I like least as well is the people, <laughs> um, depending on the day. No, I, I think you know although you know there there's bureaucracy and stuff like that and i'm you know i know as you know i've been on things you know committees and and other groups that you know kind of support that bureaucracy but sometimes you know it gets to me as well but so that can be a drag and you know especially for sometimes you know maybe people such as yourself who have all kinds of really innovative and interesting ideas and you know sometimes i feel like i'm in the role of having to shoot those ideas down, not because they're not great ideas, but because, you know, there's some rule or policy or something like says that you can't do that. So yeah, there, there are some, some negative aspects with regards to, to that kind of thing. To be, to be fair though, Noel, as long as what I've realized in this role, as long as I bring you on early before we go too far down the rabbit hole, that insight about where those landmines are on, you know, three stages down the road, is hugely advantageous and i think that's what one thing that i've learned is to bring uh you and, and people with your experience on earlier so that i don't you don't go too far down so i don't think i mean i, I could see that that rule having to say no to somebody kind of sucks but or be sound negative when yeah. you're really just trying to be a, a, a alert of or, or yeah. make people aware but i think i think that that has a lot of value to people as well yeah, I, th I think how, you know, having, helping pre people prepare for what the possible obst obstacles are uh, is helpful. So, by the way, I was going to say those, those INC forms. <laughs> like, I, 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 will, I will certainly let everybody know that I don't like INC forms, which are those. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's, it's not my interview, it's yours. What, do you, what, do you, what inspires you the most about your job, though, I'm going to go back to the, some of the people I work with and some of the students I have you know, it's, it's almost the answer for a lot of these questions is that, you know, what we work with, or I work with a group of really amazing colleagues who are doing some, some awesome stuff with science. And I find them inspirational. I've, you know, the science zone, which, you know, I'm not trying to hype you up here too much here, but, uh, you know, I have to say the, the things that have come out of the the science zone and what students have done there are inspiring and they give me ideas and I get other ideas from my colleagues who are also wonderful educators. I think learning about what the people around me are doing is, is inspiring sometimes. And, and I think sometimes, you know, this podcast, you know, will, will help uh, others learn about what, what's going on. But I think sometimes, you know, I don't realize that all the amazing stuff that other people are doing because it's, it's just not uh, communicated that well. And so I'm constantly amazed. It's like, oh, I didn't know that person did that. That's pretty cool. So uh, stuff like this is great. And this is one of the things that, I, that I've really noticed that I really enjoy doing about this podcast is I get to learn what everyone, like so much about my colleagues, I wouldn't have had the time to ask and now we don't have to have separate conversations. You can just listen to a podcast. So everyone's time is going to be is going to be saved too. Hopefully, so this yeah. is a fantastic. Um, you are you're innovating in the classroom, and uh, one of the things I like that you're doing that I I thought a lot about is uh, your badges. And so from let's tell the students about why you're doing that first, because sometimes they don't understand why we experiment in, in any re rational reason, like. So what, what is the outcome 
that you, why, what, what about this? What motivates you to help the students in this way? So maybe start by explaining what the badges are first. Well, they, yeah. So the idea of badges is, is something I've been kind of exploring uh, recently. It's the idea, it comes out of a lot of kind of gaming theory and, and psychology in that and incentivizing people for certain actions. And so, you know, if anybody who's played, uh, you know, games on their phone or their iPad, like Candy Crush or Gardenscapes or uh, Angry Birds or something like that, we realize that there's all kinds of achievements you can get, right? You can get four stars if you knock, you know, destroy the house in Angry Birds in one shot or something like that. Or if you, you know, certain number of wins, you get a, uh, some kind of reward or, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Levels completed, time, I don't know, all kinds of things. And so these, these rewards or these incentives actually have no value in themselves, right? That you don't, you know, it's not like you get any money or, or anything like that. It's really about the satisfaction of, of uh, gaining the award. And some people um, are motivated by that. They want to get all the awards. They want to get four stars on every Angry Birds level or something like that. And they will go another way and spend all kinds of time to try and achieve these things that really have, you know, no value except in their own, their own mind. So the idea of uh, educational badges has, has kind of come out of that and saying that, you know, will students, can students be incentivized to do more work or do, do things uh, for some kind of recognition? And in this case, it's a digital badge. Um, that goes into a portfolio or something like that and what that you can share with your friends and say, Hey, look, I got, you know, gold shield on whatever for doing whatever. Um, yeah. anyway, so it's actually, and the, the idea of, of badges is also made it out into the kind of the, uh, certification, you know, Mozilla had, a, a, a platform going There's So now there's all kinds of actual, uh, electronic platforms where people can share their achievements, these bat, these certifications that are in the form of an electronic kind of badge and, and things like that. But a number of educational institutions have gotten into it. And so we're just kind of, I was playing around with it in first year saying, you know, you know, would students be incentivized? Would they do more practice problems if they got a badge for doing a certain number of problems or do, getting a certain score on a set of problems and things like that? Um, so that was, yeah, that was one of my recent projects. And this, and it's not like you're trying to establish like an air miles rewards program or anything like that. You're nope. really doing it because it, it's, it, you're doing it for their best interest. Like you're, you, you, you do the experiment, see if it would work so that it would benefit them. And I think that's the, like the cool thing that again, maybe shows in, in their response to you is that you, you're willing to try something new just to see if it will make a difference. And so, yeah, and I think I think that's kind of been my career at Ryerson. I guess is you know I, I've focused on chemical education, and I've and I've always tried to keep things fresh in my course, if even for myself, uh, but also for the students by trying different stuff. And you know, a lot of a lot of times it doesn't work, but the trying is important, and you do learn from yeah. your you know you do learn from it. So yeah, I'm of mixed, uh, you know, the results of the badges thing were, were kind of mixed. I wouldn't say it's a true positive, but it wasn't truly a negative, but uh, it was an interesting experiment anyway to, to go through. I completely agree. One more question before we pivot to the rapid fire stuff. What do you believe are the most important transferable skills that every student should have and why? Well, I think, you know, communication is a big one. I can't emphasize enough that you know, the ability to converse with people at different levels with, you know, whether it's science and a more technical kind of discussion or be able to explain things at a more simpler level. But communication skills are, are huge, whatever you end up doing. I think other things like organization, time management, especially this is something I talk a lot about in first year, being able to schedule and prioritize skills like that are really important because in first year, the, the big thing is like when the, the challenges of first year is workload, like the students are often experiencing a workload, unlike anything they've ever seen in high school. And so they, 
to be successful, you need these skills and they will benefit you later in life, whatever you end up doing. So communication, time management, organization, writing skills, that's part of communication, I think, are important to be able to, to craft. And I think language. the communication, yeah, the communication aspect that you'd mentioned with, with different, to be able to talk to everyone differently, because sometimes that's what we're most guilty of, is that we, we speak at such a high level, and we're not able to break it down and talk to everybody about the same subject. And sometimes we don't even try, which I think I find disappointing and frustrating because we do so many cool things and, and you really should be sharing them, right? Yeah. Like it, it's one of the, so let's, let's, let's pivot here to the, to the rapid fire stuff, get to know you a little bit better. What factoid do my colleagues know least about me? Well, I don't know where this, uh, I publicize it a, a little bit, but I'm a big gamer. Like, like video games? <laughs> video games, for sure. So what video games are you playing right now? Well, right now uh, on, my, on my iPad, I use mostly my iPad. I got a you're not that big of a you're not that big of a gamer if you don't have like a big headset and a big well, chair. <laughs> no, no, it's a big PC gamer, so I still play World of Tanks on a PC. But I, I do a lot of games of various kinds on on my iPad, golf games and uh, puzzle games and things like that. But yeah, I was really, really big into the uh, PC gaming scene. You know, before I had a uh, you know, a child and things like that, where I had more, maybe more time playing all the, a lot of shoot, shoot em up type games, you know? Yeah. I, um, I didn't know you were a big gamer. Yeah. And I was a total during the eighties and that, you know, when arcades were big, I lived in arcades. Huh. Uh, so, portion, so, so portion of my high back, school years were in arcades. Coming back to that, coming back to that time management priority setting, I That's guess right. that you do, you do know a lot about that. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I spent a lot of money and a lot of hours in the arcades, for That's sure. Funny. What a famous person, current or otherwise, would you might most like to go to dinner with, and why? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two. One of them is a science person. I don't know what I felt like I was expected to say a science person, but you know, I, I like, uh, I really enjoy science history. And I've done a fair bit of reading there. But uh, one person I read about was Sir Ernest Rutherford, who has a Canadian connection. Uh, but to he was, uh, McGill. To McGill, you're right. Wow, yeah. you're good with your history too. Yeah. Um, but he has a, he has a fascinating, fascinating story. He's like chemist and a physicist in a way, maybe more physicist than chemist in some ways. But, you know, he is, you know, kind of the, the interesting thing, one thing that he, he came across or discovered, or I don't know what the right word was, that the radioactive decay curves, first order radioactive decay curves. And he actually has that on his coat of arms. Huh. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, so there's, who, a, there's who's, a little... Who's the, who's the other person? Well, I thought, I thought uh, for, for an actor person, I, I thought Paul Rudd, you know, the Ant-Man, uh, yeah, yeah. guy because he just looks really nice <laughs> he looks like a nice <laughs> he looks like a nice guy you know yeah. um you know uh, but that's a horrible reason but he actually does play the same character in almost every one of his things like from I know. getting sarah marshall to yeah that's uh, a good movie too you know yeah um, i think <laughs> Big Brother or something. He played another one. Like they've had, he's he's almost the same character every time. He's always this kind of nice guy, you know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I know it seems really random, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a candid podcast, so I'm. But glad this is, you, were, you know, but I'm not sure I'd want to want to meet him like in real life for sure because what happens if he turned out to be like a total jerk? <laughs> yeah, he could be. Uh, I like yeah, to kind of keep this image of him in my mind, maybe. You know, yeah, you, you hear about that. You know, where actors who turn out to be like terrible people or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, we so, all could be, I guess. It's a risk of going out with anybody famous or allegedly famous. All right. So right. The next question: What is your uh, favorite food? I enjoy a uh, a good fillet. Pizza's uh, pretty up there too. Well, fillet of fish, I assume. Oh, so fillet uh, mignon. Sorry. Uh, oh. Okay. <laughs> fillet of fish. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I go off to McDonald's okay. for my filet of fish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, 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 I've had a big craving for McDonald's. 
recently. So I, I, I could see why how it could be a fillet fish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't even know. Do they, do they even still serve that? I haven't been in, in a McDonald's I, in, in ages, so I, I don't even know what's I, on their menu. I don't know if they do or not, but you could have any kind of fillet. It doesn't have to be a fillet, a, a McFillish or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Fillet mignon. Okay. okay, there we go. Fillet mignon. That's nice. Okay. And it's barbecue season, so I hope you get to enjoy one. Barbecue, soon. medium rare. Ooh, nice. Okay, so what is your favorite beverage to go with that filet mignon? Well, it doesn't, my favorite be beverage probably doesn't actually really go well with filet mignon, but. Uh, okay, so, so what is it? Well, I enjoy, I enjoy a good cup of coffee or tea, um, but for, for, you know, beverages with filet mignons, well, I think you'd have to go with maybe a red wine. Although I'm really into rosés these days, so I don't know. Ah, you and Gossage both. I don't understand that. Seems like you just, you just, you just can't decide what you want. White or red? <laughs> in between. A little, a little bit of yeah. both. A little bit of both, yeah. Then just get two bottles and mix your own. That's right. So what is, what is your favorite color? Um, <laughs> I'm not talking about wine anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to go with blue blue that's a very common one in the pod as well and complete the sentence if i was not a professor at ryerson i would like to be if i'm not a professor at ryerson i'd like to be a professional gamer <laughs> well, that seems like it's a big thing because i could yeah you know you can actually make money at it now and you know i could play games all day if i had if i had the the time to do that you know? so you have the stamina to do it all day i i do I do have the stamina to play games, you know, I, I have gone on, you know, like some of those big adventure games, you know, like, or things like uh, World of Warcraft and stuff like that, you know, you can just kind of lose time on. Yes, just one can. more I mission, always... just one more quest. Yeah, just... yeah, and then you look at your watch and it's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was me at times. Yeah, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. And then my body would hurt because I've been sitting in yeah. the same spot for like six hours. Yes, I know the feeling. Something in your the top ten of your bucket list. Top ten bucket list. Probably travel. I've I've always liked the idea of uh, hiking up to Machu Picchu. You know, you see uh -huh. these trips. You know, I'd like to like kind of hike through the jungle and then get up to Machu Picchu, or you know, the Galapagos, something like that. Uh, that that'd be pretty cool too. So something in the equator, by the sounds of it, something <laughs> something high up in the equator. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is or was your favorite role model? I, I'm going to say too. I, I think for with regards to science and and things like that, I, I have to go back to Richard Oakley. He was a as a supervisor or as a mentor. He was a a fantastic person uh, for that and guided me. And you know, I I learned a lot under him, not just science wise, but just you know about life and things like that. But, um, you know, I think also my parents, I think, are, you know, with regards to marriage and family and, and, and things like that, I try and emulate them uh, as much as I can, because uh, I think they're, they're great. I, couldn't, I, I could only hope to achieve the same as them. Awesome. What is your uh, greatest achievement so far? I, I think actually getting my PhD, which was, as I said, a completely unexpected thing in many ways, um, but was also a, you know, a struggle. I wasn't, you know, it involved a lot of hard work. And like I said, I, I'm certainly wasn't kind of top of my class in, in graduate school kind of thing. And, you know, I remember, I remember my you know, th thesis at the end of my, my defense actually, uh, you know, they kind of make you wait outside while they're deciding. And, you know, that was the longest 10 minutes of my life. And I thought for sure I'd blown it. I, I was for sure they were going to come out and said, no, you didn't, you didn't do it. Because I kept rethinking, you know, some of my answers or, you know, some of the questions I wasn't able to answer. And I was like, oh my God, I'm blown it. But uh, I made it through. So I'm going to call that my greatest achievement. <laughs> it, it is definitely a good one. And what is, what has been your greatest failure so far? You know, I, I thought about this question, you, you know, you provided kind of some sample questions beforehand, but uh, it, this one's a tough one. I mean, I've had failures, but, you know, one that stands out as the greatest uh, is actually tough. 
to, to, to point out. In a, in a comical sense, uh, you could say my, my greatest failure, I'd, I'd say, was uh, not calling the ball in baseball because it, I let, it led to quite a horrific uh, injury in graduate school. And um, To you or to someone else? To, to me. No, to me, oh. where I, I had a, a, a significant, I had a horrible break in my leg and ended, ended up with a uh, horrible, horrible bone infection and nearly lost my leg <laughs> holy yeah that's <laughs> um, I, I like i like how you pinned it on the not calling the ball so well it, you know can, can that can that metaphor be extended in in other parts of your life too or do we just want to not making the call when you should have well you know i think you know it's a yeah i mean you know i think we've all had lapses you know or yeah. you know there are things mistakes we've made that we where where we regret you know and i i think all of us have those do i regret not calling the ball yeah for sure because yeah. it cha it changed my life i mean i still have consequences i was back in 1995 and you know i still it still impacts my life in in some ways so wow. yeah um stay i guess stay focused yeah. and call call the ball yeah communicate stay focused communicate yeah, there you go <laughs> What what are you most grateful for? My family. I am. I am you, you have children too, right, Noel? You have. Yeah, I, I have. I have a son, uh, a sixteen-year-old son. No, I have. I have a wonderful, wonderful family who has uh, supported me through trials and tribulations, all the good times, all the bad times. As I said, my wife I met in high school back in nineteen. <laughs> uh 80 i graduated 87 87 uh, yeah um it's been a long time but you know she she's been there for for all of it and we're i'm blessed to you know in that kind of relationships you know that you know you have the option you can grow together or you can grow apart and uh and we we grew together starting off as as kids all the way to where we are now also for uh, my career, my job is somewhere where I never expected to be. I couldn't have imagined it when I was back in high school or even going through undergrad. It's been a blessing. And I think that, you know, we are in a privileged situation. You know, there, there are not many jobs where you have a guarantee, you know, once you get tenure, you pretty much have a job for life, guaranteed. And we are, are in a great environment. We are compensated well, and I am grateful for that all the time, especially when I see, you know, for example, with today's graduates and the you know, employment markets and precarious employment and, and things like that, I'm very grateful for where I am. Excellent. And what concerns you the most? So whether it be locally or globally, what are the, some of the things that keep you up at night? I think the environment, you know, what we're doing with our planet concerns me, especially I think, I think the next, say, 50 years are going to be very big for our planet environmental-wise. And I, I worry about what our, you know, this generation coming up is going to face. You know, and some of the stuff I, I wa recently watched Netflix has put out a little, it's called History 101. It's like these 30, 30 minute episodes on different topics. And one of them was about plastics, for example, and plastics in the environment. And, you know, they're talking about these, these islands of plastic, these five islands of plastic around the world. And it's just like, saddens me. And, and you know, what are we going to do about this? And other environmental things that we're doing to our planet. So... That's what I worry yeah. about, you know. And, and, I, and I think a lot of people need to understand too, the planet will be fine, just the species on it and us are the ones who are actually in jeopardy. So instead of, they, we should be thinking about all of those, the, those other life forms uh, that are with us that we share this planet with as well. Exactly. What's a, what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? So a place you have been? Well, lately I've been doing, uh, I've had some several trips to Europe. I, you know, as I said, I spent, at the beginning, I, I spent some time in Germany when I was young, and I enjoyed that. And recently, in the, in the past several years, we have gone to uh, France and uh, Italy. And I have to say, in general, I really enjoy 
Europe. And definitely, I had a, I was supposed to be, actually, I don't know, I would have been back from now, but a couple weeks ago, I was supposed to be in Portugal for two weeks, but that got canceled. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that, but we'll definitely go back to Europe when we can. Yeah, excellent. And what is your most productive time of day? I'm a morning person. So, so it's with your coffee? Yeah, with, our, with my coffee, but certainly the, the hours, uh, you know, up till, up till noon are probably my, my most productive. I try not to work at all at, at night, generally, if I can avoid it. But yeah, morning's my good time. Awesome. And I think you answered this question already. What's your favorite hobby? I'll go back to games on that one. If, if you can call it a hobby, I mean, I've had debates with people as to whether gaming is a hobby or not, you know, because it's associated. Hobbies are sometimes associated with kind of more craft type things you know you're making something or i don't know woodworking or needlepoint or you know collecting actually that's true collecting that's true. i guess i'm collecting something I, I don't know but, i never uh, i never thought about that that it is yeah hobbies are usually involve a thing that you're playing with that creates a widget of some sort right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i never, I never, thought, I never thought about that i don't know, yeah. know. we'll have to look at the definition of hobby sometime i consider yeah, that's right you know what i like to do in my free time gaming is certainly maybe I'll just maybe I'll just reword that question. <laughs> what what piece of advice would you give your second year self? My second year stuff, I think, I think one of the things I learned, and it wasn't until I you know maybe started teaching or something like that, was that to think about the way we learn and to try and take more of an approach of trying to connect ideas. You know, my approach to studying through high school and and um, and maybe through university, maybe I, maybe that's why I struggled so much was that I, I didn't spend enough time trying to connect ideas. And chemistry is all about that. You know, it's like, like although we, we tend to teach it in a very modular fashion in that, but it, you know, there's all these ways to, to connect ideas and to try and take that approach. I think the idea of concept mapping is, is a good one. It's something I kind of explored certainly when I first started teaching the idea of generating concept maps as yeah. a way to learn. I think it's a good way to go. It's, it's a challenging thing to do with regards to assessment and that because everybody thinks differently, which is good. But right. I, I think I think one of the things is that what studying with regards to learning and that what worked for you in high school and you might have had a lot of success with doesn't won't necessarily work in university. And that you know, don't, don't keep trying the same thing and over and over again and failing is that, you know, if it's not working, then you need to think differently about it. Yeah, agreed. And with regards to COVID, what have been some of your biggest challenges so far? Connecting with students. Oh man, I miss, I miss my students. I miss lecturing or going, or going in the, into the classroom and seeing them. Um, yeah. remote, remote would you, teach. would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Well, that's a, that's, that's a good question. In, in my non-teaching life, I'm actually, I, I would say kind of introverted. I am not very good in crowds of people that I don't know. And I'm not very good at networking. I've, I've, I'm very uncomfortable in that kind of situation. So when I go to conferences and that, certainly, yeah, I like meeting up with the people I, you know, I kind of know and I've met before, but I'm not really good in crowds of unknown people. But yeah. teaching is different. And I would say with regards to, you know, when I'm in the, in the classroom and that, I, 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 I would say I'm more extroverted. So I don't know if that's a, yeah, I think people unusual have or not. You know, but yeah, I think people have different personas and that sometimes if you feel like you're an actor on a stage, then, and, and you like that feeling, then that can be somewhat reinforcing in many ways. So I could see, I, I could see that being true for you as well. What are, so what are you doing to cope? Like how, how are you getting through this? Fortunately, I'm, a, I'm finding very challenging. I mean, certainly the end of the, of the semester was you know, trying to figure out just how to finish things off and trying to really come up with a solution that was kind of best for the students and and trying to understand the challenges that they were facing because i think you know it was very different uh, i mean it's different for everybody you know yeah i could i could record all my lectures and i can post all kinds of stuff but i think with the the, the students it was a bigger challenge trying to just maintain their their routines and and their learning environment but you know i had 
how am I coping? Fortunately, I have, uh, you know, my wife and my family and talking a lot. You know, they've certainly heard a lot of my, me expressing my frustrations over various issues and things like that. So just, just trying to have somebody to, to, to work it out with, I guess, is, is how I'm coping. I wouldn't say I've, I've done great. There's a lot of stuff that I've, you know, I've had been keeping, keeping me up at night, worrying about various things or, or things that were bothering me. So it certainly has had an impact on, on that kind of stuff. Uh, one of my students or one of the students said that in a previous podcast, that the best thing we could do as professors is just remember that there are so many different learning styles. And so while we know that they're going through a lot, the best solution that we could come up with in a remote capacity is just to try to address, try to create solutions that are all encompassing in terms of learning styles and not worry about the other things so much. Because if you take care of the small things, the big things tend to take care of themselves, right? And I thought that was like, I was like, what? How old are you? Like, I, was yeah. just, I was like amazed when they said that. I was just like, that's great insight. And so it was, it was a perfect response. So it's, and, yeah. and, and I think if I were you, I wouldn't beat yourself up of trying to be perfect. To, to get the perfect solution because it just, it needs to be a big varied solution. Uh, it has to cast a big net, right? As opposed to uh, the type of net. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I think there's just kind of a lot of thinking that, that needs to go through and, you know, we have a little bit of time until the fall, but it, it's, it's going to take some, some, a lot of discussion with colleagues. And, and I think student input actually is really important. I've been thinking a lot about this a lot because you know, I'm, I'm getting video fatigue already and I haven't even been on the learning end of things, right? There's only so many videos you can watch and, and whether that's the, you know, effective in any way. I mean, I think, you know, it might be okay for a couple of weeks to finish the semester, but having the entire semester where you're kind of watching videos of some form is, uh, I worry about that. Um, and whether that's how their people are going to cope with that, but we will, work at trying to come up with some some good options i agree and what has uh, been your silver lining in this pandemic i think you know this the silver lining is that i think a lot of people discovered that things that they didn't think possible actually are possible and that now that or what might have been a problem with regards to resources in the past is now now not a problem because resources are being diverted to, to other things. So for example, I mean, one thing I'll, it's not really a teaching example, but for example, uh, like the courts, right? I'm sure they never ever would have imagined or would have thought, oh, doing court stuff by video or, or, or something like that is possible or, or it just would take too many resources to try and set it up or figure it out. But uh, they've done it, right? Yeah. And, and, and work and other things, people are figuring stuff out because now everybody is, is devoted to figuring it out. We need to keep this going and, and how are we going to do it? So I think, you know, a, a lot of positive things with regards to technology and, and other things are coming out of it yeah. now that and people if, are for, either forced to figure it out or because now the resources are there to, 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 and the time uh, to devote to it is there. And if the judiciary can change, then this institution can change too. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, that's true. And I also, I also like how the conversation has changed when we talk about assessments. Instead of talking about exams and cheatings and tests, we're thinking about new ways to assess, which I think is both awesome. And it uses a lot of technology, but it's both awesome and timely. So I'm really excited to see what kind of innovations will come out in all of this. And I know, Noel, you're going to be a part of this because you love doing these things and you love games and you're a techno, techno, techno lover, techno, techno lover. Yeah. Yeah. Technophile. Technophile, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Noel. Oh, yes. I think, I think, I think it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. And I think a lot of, uh, I've already heard a lot of really great ideas from, from my colleagues and certainly it has me thinking about things differently as well, which is good because change is good sometimes. I agree. 
Noel, we could we could do this all day, and we're going to have lots of conversations this summer, you and I, as we try to plan our big courses for the fall. But in the interest of time, thank you so much for spending your hour with us and, and getting to know you a little bit better. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Brian. This is a wonderful series of podcasts that you're doing, and I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. It's, it's been a good, a good chat. Excellent. Well, Noel, enjoy the rest of your day and have a video game and filet mignon on us, okay? Oh, great. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Bye Take now. Take care. Bye. Bye.